I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, on this episode, we're going to be speaking with a physical therapy practice owner on how he is getting his private practice sellable, plus how and why he's also, at the same time, investing in self-storage. All that and more next with Stephen Dunn. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to the Dave Kittle Show. And I am the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have Stephen Dunn on the show, physical therapist, co-owner of Core Therapy and Pilates down in Austin, Texas. And he's been a physical therapist since 1998. He's been in private practice since 2005. Stephen, welcome on the show. Uh, thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate it, man. Excellent. So let's get into a little bit of your background and ultimately the big crux of why you're here. We're going to talk about you know your practice and you want to get it sellable and the self-storage component. But talk a little bit about COVID and, and how that might have impacted and changed yourself and, and your thoughts around your private practice and business and all that. Yeah, for sure. Like COVID was definitely a big shock where for several years, four years, five years, we were rock solid, busy as a cash only clinic. And, you know, it was me doing all the work. I was seeing 35 patients a week, as well as handling everything else that had to be handled to run the business. And I brought a physical therapist in in November before COVID with plans of training them on sales and getting them to like basically do what I was doing and try for myself to work less hours and start kind of scaling back. And then COVID hit within a few months and that all just kind of changed. And we were like, whoa, how do we just survive and like get to the next step? Because at that point, people really weren't willing in our where we were, we, they weren't willing to pay us for cash that they were just paying us a month before, two months before. And there was this sense of like, oh, how do we, how do we figure out how to keep us afloat at first? And then I also started getting some quotes on like what my business was worth, some appraisals, whatever, you know, however you phrase that. I was having people look at my numbers and giving me an idea of what my business was, what they would buy it for. And I had a quote right before COVID. I had a quote, a quote a little bit into COVID. And those numbers were changing very rapidly because my business was doing well pre-COVID, even though it was on me. And then as we got into COVID, it was me and another therapist, but it wasn't doing well. And it was really this kind of shock of, oh, we're not even really going to make you an offer because we don't, you don't have anything to sell right now. And that was kind of frustrating. You know, I was like, wow, I've been in business. You know, I've had core open in Austin since 2005. I've had my contract business a few years prior since 2001, but all of a sudden it was very frustrating that I'm like, wow, I've busted my butt off, you know, helping people, serving people. And here my business is worth this with basically nothing. So it was this big shift in my mind of well, what can I do to one, make this survivable again? That was my first intention. And then as I started realizing as we were making it survivable, how do we figure out how to sell this? in a way that's not relying on me, that's not relying on me being the person doing 35 hours a week. 
And again, when I was seeing 35 hours a week at a cash rate of, you know, 230 or 240 an hour, it was great. But it was a very strong, hard ceiling of what I could make and where I could go with it. And so even though I was really excited to be able to fill my schedule, again, I realized that there was nothing sellable about that. There wasn't much interest in there. It was sellable, but it wasn't it wasn't worth as much as I thought it was going to be worth because it was just me and my client list that the people expected to not necessarily come back once they bought it and did what they did to change it. And so with pivoting and, and starting to figure out how do I keep myself and Andy busy? I said, uh-uh, I don't want to keep myself busy. How do I keep Andy busy? I've got him here. He's been with me for three months. And so we first started taking Medicare and that was the last March. So March of 21. And so, you know, from March of 20 to March of 21, we were in this kind of limbo trying to figure it out. And once we started taking Medicare, we went from both of us being very slow to all of a sudden Andy started really picking up and I kept my hours slow so I could really start focusing on building and trying to not get overwhelmed with patients just to kind of navigate what the heck was going on because we were in just untested waters from, from anything I'd been through from any, from my career for many, many years. And with that said, the shift to Medicare was a, a great shift and it got Andy busy. It got me to a point to where I was able to hire my next PT, Danny. And Danny came in January of 22. And so March of 21, we started taking Medicare by January of 22. I hired my next PT. We had the slowest month in January because of the Omicron. So it was uh, hired a PT full time. And it was very painful because I didn't get in full for a little bit because of the shift in people wanting to come out because of, again, something out of our control. But what ended up happening is by the time we got um, Danny busy over the summer and going into the fall, I'm like, okay, I have two PTs busy now. I'm seeing five, six people a week. And the only people I was seeing were my existing clients that have known me for 10 years, 12 years, whatever, 15 years. And really it was people that kind of, I kind of had this rule, this unwritten rule that like if they have me, if they're on my cell phone and they text me and want to get in then I'll see them. But if they called my front desk and said I was an old patient, then they got to see the other guys, you know, because I figured if it was <laughs> if it was someone I was going to see, I was going to I wanted it to be someone I, I knew pretty well. And I really wanted to spend my time with because I now started kind of hoarding my time almost to sure. just not not let a new patient come in that I may or may not get along with. So that was a that was a new shift to like, OK, Danny, you take all the new patients. And then before that, it was Andy, take all the new patients. And so those were things that have slowly been big pivots, but like me not taking new patients for two years, it's really, really weird. Um, don't have the relationships with new people that I normally would, would be having with that constant flow of new people coming in the door. Um, but I basically kind of become the mayor now of my office where I, I show up, I hang out, I work out, I got the dogs with me and chatting with the people. And a lot of the people that are there seeing my other PTs, they're my old patients. They just are seeing those guys now, or, or they're my old patients' friends or wives. And so I really do see that it's what we've grown, we built as a community there. And this it's the patient list that's really what continues to come in. And I've been there 15 years, 18 years. And guess what? My 45, 50-year-old client is now aged into Medicare. My 50-year-old client is now 65, 68. And so it was a good shift without me realizing it for just what was going on with the amount of time we were there. 
And now I have a business that I don't manage the meetings. I don't, again, I see hands. I saw one patient today. I saw two, uh, two Tuesday. So I saw three this week total. Um, and I've been up at the office every day this week, but three patients and the things that I've done have been more focused on again, what's that next step for the next thing. And I have a new PT coming in for the next step. She starts in January. And so I basically worked myself out of a room and I'm really excited about that. So I no longer have a treatment room come January and it'll be three PTs and I'm getting her full. And then I'm going to start looking at the, the, the next step of buying a location, uh, buying some real estate for my next location for core. So that's kind of the, where I'm at and the pivot that I made. And, and at one point it was all about me and serving my patients and doing it the way I wanted to do it. And I realized that wasn't sustainable and grow up. That wasn't going to be scalable to the, what I wanted to, to move forward. And, and, and here I am in a hybrid clinic where we were still cash for many, but we do take HMOs and PPOs for blue cross now. And we take Medicare and they all pay around 130, 135 an hour. So it's not bad. It's not great, but it's not, you know, not bad at the same time. And we just, I just refuse to take anything else because they don't pay. Right. Right. Well, let, let's go back for a second. So you had had two different business valuations done. So for any private practice owner listening, was that done through a broker an advisor? Was that done through some independent service that does small business valuations? Like which individual performed that? So the first time it was actually done by Will Butler and his team and Will, um, this was again, right before COVID and Will would, I would say is a third party financial person. And, you know, he looked at our numbers and there was some, there was a guy with him that was on his team. And I can't remember the guy's name who really kind of handled that part. And they gave me a, a figure based on that. And then someone reached out to me during COVID and it was a guy who he had built like 12 or 13 clinics in central Texas and sold them all and was looking with his team, him and some, and some VCs to basically like buy a couple clinics that are in the million dollar range and then merge them together in the umbrella to get them up to that, that, you know, 10, $12 million to get a much bigger multiplier. And so I got the quote from them, which these are the guys trying to buy me. So, you know, they're so, the ones so that, it was, it was an offer. It was, that one was probably an offer, right? As opposed to, they were saying, this is what we value your business as, but it was like a non-binding letter of intent or what? Well, they, they basically said they, they weren't going to offer me anything because I'd been, I'd been so many months in the red through COVID that all the stuff I was doing that I knew was going to build us and bring us out. It hadn't happened yet, you know? And so it's kind of like, I know we're going to get more into this later, it's kind of like with many storages, people want to sell me for the work that I have to do. Like they don't want to sell me the where it's at right now. They want to sell me on the potential, the pro forma. And that's just not how it works. And that, and that was a great lesson for me. They're like, well, you're not really making any money. So we don't really have any multiplier. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. And they gave me some tips and things to like, you do this, this, and this, and it'll make your business much more sellable. So if I went to them right now, they would make me an offer. But a year ago, they didn't because I was just hiring Danny. Danny wasn't full. Andy was just barely full. And we just were in a totally different place. So I just told them, I'll talk to them later. And I really now know I don't want to talk to them until I've set up and I'm, I now have a plan. Talking to them helped me with that plan. Listening to your podcast, listening to lots of people helped me with that plan. 
And now I have a much better plan that I didn't really have. I pivoted before I had that plan. And now that plan is is much, much, much more crystal clear and just a much more direct line of what I want to do. Right. So you're, you're treating significantly less than before than two, three years ago. Correct. You therefore, for an owner that maybe is still treating 20, 30, 40 hours a week, what advice do you have for them where like you could probably, and I would love for you to go in further detail of like, does that allow you, I mean, you, you have more space on your calendar where you can kind of go into the clinic and speak with some patients, you stop by, see, make sure everything's kind of running smoothly. But like, do you also notice that you have more, I mean, you must have more like just mental bandwidth because then you're like, okay, well, let me, let me check out this, this option of self-storage. Let me see this as a potential long-term investment. So if you, if you were to get core sellable and then eventually if, and when you do sell it, then you have the next chapter of your life in terms of self-storage. So right now, if there's a practice owner that's kind of in, still in patient care, maybe then they have a team, maybe they're doing a million or two in revenue, but they're treating 20, 30, 40 hours a week. What advice do you have for them in regards to them treating patients, even though that's probably what they love doing? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great question. I think it's really just an evaluation of where you want to go. Because if you want to sell your business and you want to walk away, then you need to be done before you sell it. If you're seeing 20 patients a week when you sell it, then they, they're going to expect you to keep seeing those 20 patients for some time. So you just kind of have to figure out what you want. Two years ago, I would have never, I would never be able to say what I'm saying right now. Like, no way. I was not ready. Even though I was already kind of mentally trying to prepare for it, I wasn't ready to do that. So you just kind of have to know what your plan is. And my plan got shifted by COVID significantly. And once I finally got to this point where I'm like, okay, it's no longer about me. It's no longer about like me thinking I'm great. It's about like me systemizing and selling and getting this place to where it's not about me. So if you want it to not be about you, then stop treating. If you want it to continue to be, you want to be a part of that plan moving forward when you do sell, then keep treating. But I really just think it's up to each individual and what they want. I love treating patients. I miss talking to people. I miss spending an hour with my patients. I really do. But at the same time, the time that I have now allows me to do these types of things, allows me to do other things where like I'm talking to a banker, I'm talking to a um, so a broker who we're talking business where it's just like talking to another PT business owner, but we're now talking about a different type of business. So now I actually have time to build relationships in a new arena. And we know building relationships is such an important part of any business, but I now have time to do that. So I have time to build my relationships, to expand my business, my core. And now I have time to build my next business, which is actually going to make me way more money than cores made in 20 years than with me getting into the, the storage industry just because of the asset class that it is. So I really think that question depends on the person and what their goals are and what they want to do. For me, those goals shifted really rapidly and, and changed really rapidly. And again, I, I just had to kind of give up on it. And, I, and it's been hard. I've had a few moments where like I've been taking stuff from my office, like every week I like grab a few things to come home. And it's like, you know, it's like you're retiring, you got that box of stuff. I feel like I got the security guard walking me out and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And it's just kind of weird, you know, because my room at the office is totally my man cave. It's like all the stuff that's important in my life. And Cheryl's like, I don't know where you're going to put that crap at the house. Cause it ain't going self storage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need to store it. So, so but yeah, so- that's, that's a good question. 
So when did you start getting into self-storage? I mean, you probably, we've all heard about it once upon a time, but when did that become a potential interest for you? When, how, how did that come on your radar in the past, you know, year or two or whenever it was? Originally came on my radar when I first read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the book that led me to open my business for, for core. It actually led me to open my contract business in California. And then eventually led to me opening core. But at that moment in time, I also started buying duplexes and fourplexes. So back in like uh, 2001, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And within a month, I'd opened my business, contract business, and I'd bought my first duplex. And then within another six months, I'd bought a total of six fourplexes and duplexes with, with me and my brother, all from reading this one book and getting really motivated but a part of that book was that they talked about were things like laundromats and car washes and self-storage. And a friend of mine in high school was an entrepreneurial type person. He was my only entrepreneurial friend back in the day. And they built some storages at a convenience store that they had. And they had this convenience store where it was a really odd shaped lot and they were selling gas, but they weren't making any money off the gas. So they, they tore the gas thing down, pulled out the tanks. And they just made storage with as much place as possible. And within like, I don't know, a few, six months, it was all paid for. So then they bought the lot next to them and, you know, expanded. And before you know it, like my friend's still like making money off of storage stuff that he built, you know, 20, that's actually 30 years ago, back in the early 90s. So however, yeah, early 90s. So long time ago. And that was my first like thought about it, but I was way too scared. I was not an entrepreneur at that time. And then... 10 years later, I'm reading these books and I'm like, hmm, I want to, I remember my buddy Rob. I want to go back to that. And when I first moved to Austin, so in 2004, I looked at a storage facility when I first moved here. It was right by the airport. And I was in this decision mode of, am I going to open core? Yeah. Am I going to buy this storage facility? I would love to, but I don't have any money. So I really couldn't come up with, I couldn't figure out a way to buy my house, open my business and buy this facility at, at the same time. And I'm not sure I really had the bandwidth for all of it, to be honest. I, I don't I don't know. But I kind of wish I would have bought it because it was a great deal compared to what's happened since. And this storage facility is literally about a mile to two miles from Tesla's new mega factory. So it it just happened to have be built right there. So it would have been a great investment. But so that was 20 years ago or 18 years ago or 19 years ago. And I was really close and I didn't pull the trigger. Well, I've kind of regretted that ever since and getting into the, the real estate of fourplexes and duplexes, that was fun, but it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a short lived thing. We, we, we made some money, we sold and we got out of it. We, we 1031 exchanged something and then the recession hit and we lost all that, that profit that we'd made. So then I've been kind of gun shy on putting my money in real estate because of what happened now, 15 years ago, eight, uh, 14 years ago. But anyway, I've always had this in the back of my mind, always been there. And I guess it was, um, it was around Easter. We were driving through small town, Texas on my way, our way to Cheryl's parents' house. And we, I saw a facility for sale and it's just like, like all this started, all this stuff started rushing in my head. And I'm like, all right, I'm so, on this, uh, so a self-storage place just had like a for sale sign out front. Yeah. And I, it was on it was a main street in a town called Giddings, Texas. It's a small town. Ain't nothing there, but a few red lights. And, um, but it's a pass through, you know, if you drive from Houston to, to Austin, you're driving through it. 
It's a, it's a, one of the way it's a major, major, major thorough way. And, and I saw it and it caught my eye and I went home and I found it online and I called the broker and he gave me a bunch of information. And I was just like, what is this? I don't know what any of this means. You know, it was like foreign to me. And I sent it to a friend of mine who's a business owner, the information that I got. And he goes, that's a good deal. And I called the broker back and he goes, oh, it's gone. It's sold. And it was just one of those things where that was about, oh, you know, about eight, 10 months ago, I would say 10 to 10, eight, nine months, roughly eight, eight to nine months, maybe. And that was just like, it kind of got me going again. It got me thinking about it. But guess what's also happened then? I, I had Danny starting to work for me and I had a little more time on my hands. So I decided, let me see what I can find. So I started searching for self-storage. And just like all good old marketing, right? You Google something, you search something, and people start Facebook ads, right? So I'm on Facebook and I start getting some ads from someone who is a basically a storage investor who also teaches people how to go through the process and he will partner with you. And so he's like, I'll teach you how to find the deal. You find the deal and I've got the money to help you get into your first deal. I'm like, oh, okay. So I basically signed up in July. So we're now in December. So six months ago, I signed up with a kind of like a a mentor program with these guys. And, um, basically have dove in and I'm like meeting on zoom calls once a week, took a three month course learning how to underwrite and like take the property, look at the offering, offering memorandum, the OM, put it into the evaluating system, call all the, the, um, the competition in town, figure out who's full, who's not full, figure out the prices on everything and basically come up with a whole plan of, yeah, I'm going to buy this and now this is what I'm going to do with it. And this is what I'm going to present to investors to show them why they would be interested in buying, investing in this deal. And so it's a whole process and it's really awesome, but it's just business. It's the same business as everything. It's just, it's a little different because when you evaluate residential real estate, you look at the neighbor's house that sold and that's your comp. Well, in storage, you can have a five-acre piece of land with 100 units, and it's going to be a million bucks. But if you have that same five acres with 500 units, it might be eight million bucks. So there's a vast difference in the price based on what is the business generating that's sitting on that. And that's what makes it a little bit unique. Are most of the self-storages that are for sale that are not the corporate ones like the bigger names, but the mom-and-pop ones, are they mostly selling the real estate and the business and they, or maybe it's 50, 50, maybe half the time they're the owner is keeping the real estate. Does that ever happen where they sell the business itself? Like the, to lease it or no, it's usually that you have to buy everything. It's usually everything I've seen. It's all included because the way storage was created was it was people would buy land and then they would put the stuff on it to basically, they would put storage on it to generate a little money while they were holding their land. And then they realize, oh, wait, it's actually a profitable business. So let's not just, let's actually hold it, hold the phone. And so like, if you put a climate controlled, big boy, you know, nice elevators, you know, those things, you, you, you build it from scratch, it'll cost you 7 million, 8 million, but you can sell it for 20. So it's a tremendous, once you get it full, once you build it and fill it up with people renting it, you can sell it for a tremendous amount of money, but you got to have some deep pockets to sit on those empty lots, build it, 
So flipping mom and pops is what I'm looking at. It's like, okay, where's the mom and pops facility? Where's the mom and pops who are afraid to raise the rent? Just like PTs don't want to raise the rent, don't want to raise their rates, right? Um, but imagine most small towns in Texas, they're selling a property for over a million dollars, but they're afraid to raise their rents from 80 bucks to 100 bucks. And they've had it at 80 bucks for like 10 years. But the actual real rate should be maybe 150. And so we plug that into our calculator. And we're not going to take someone from 80 to 150. But when we say, okay, we'll buy it for this. And the day one, as soon as we do day one and we raise the rates probably 25%, and it's still under street rates, it's still under what market values are, then we've taken a million dollar property and turned it into like a million four in one day by just raising the rates. It's unbelievable. And you can't do that in, in many industries to see that kind of compound effect because you have 100 units. You're not talking about four units. You're not talking about a single unit. You're not talking about three PTs. You're talking about 150 people paying you every month, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. It's kind of fascinating. I love it. You discussed in the pre-interview before we were recording that you'll you know acquire something, acquire self-storage, raise the rents, raise the price. And there's going to be some amount that are going to leave, but it's challenging because their physical items are at that facility, right? So then they got to come pick it up and then they got to go move it somewhere else. And if they go move it somewhere else, that place is probably charging or maybe charging market rate or more at that point. So in some cases, a lot of those customers will just pay whatever the higher fee is now from you or any other new buyer and and leave their stuff there. But even if folks even if 10, 20% leave, right? Then you 3%, 3% would leave. Three. That's industry standard, 3% will leave, but you'll have higher cash flow, more yearly revenue because of the difference in the higher rates for everyone else yep. that stays, the 97% That's right. that stay. That's right. And again, you think about it, I've already called every every other place within a five mile radius. Now, so and I you know. So you call those places as a potential customer and you ask, you know, Mr. Johnson, self-storage, do you, how much is it? And do you guys have any vacancy? Do you have like an open spot yep. for my stuff? Yep. Oh, you you do have five by tens. Well, what about 10 by 20s? Oh, you and have a so, wait list. So, oh, you have a wait list on your 10 by 20s. How much are your 10 by 20s? And I'm just writing all this down. It's going in my evaluator. It's all going into like my evaluation of whether or not I'm going to buy that business. Because the reason only 3% move out is because I'm going to buy the facility that there's only everyone around them is full. Or everyone around them, the rate is so much more that they're not going to move out for $20. You know, they're just not going to move out for 20 bucks. Because most people, when they buy into or they, they go store something, they're going to stay 13 months to two years. That's the average, the standard, depending on where you're at. And most people move in day one and they don't come back until move out. And that's it. They don't do it. And so if I know that every other place in town is full or there's very little or the rate is still higher or maybe even a little bit lower than what we're charging. They really want to touch everything they've got in there to move out and save $5, 10 bucks. Maybe, maybe not. If they do good, good, good. Bye-bye. We got someone else that we're going to bring in at the new rate, you know, and now we're going to put it online. We're going to make it a kiosk where they don't have to talk to us. We're going to be able to do it virtually. A, a damn, um, <laughs> a lock drops out of the thing. Like a, not, um, like a vending machine, <laughs> the lock drops out, they go lock it up and it's all done without anyone there. And someone can literally run a storage facility from their phone with the right EMR, 
not really, but in the talks of PTs, right? You have the right software, which is basically an EMR. It's going to email them. It's going to keep track of everything. It's, it's an EMR, right? And uh, it's a CRM EMR mix, right? Yep. And so it's the same idea with that. You get it all recurring. You don't take any more checks. You don't take any more cash. When people pay cash, that's where things go missing. So you just kind of, and guess COVID made all that much. People are ready to do that because of COVID. But that was already happening in the storage industry, that touchless thing. And COVID just made it a lot more like, what's the right word? It made it a lot more normalized for everyone to be doing that. So it's a very fascinating thing. So again, a lot of these mom and pops, they're 60, 70, 80. They don't want to deal with these changes and learning technology and doing this and that. And they're just like, here, let's go. But here's the problem. When I got into this in July, the interest rates were three. Now the interest rates are seven and a half. So the interest rates have like more than doubled in a short amount of time. And that's never happened in the history of this game. So the numbers aren't penciling out because the prices are still a little high. Then, you know, it's like the real estate market for residential. As as the interest rate goes up, the price of the house comes down. That's not quite happening yet in storage because it's been so hot for so long that they're like, pay me 2 million and it's really worth like 1.3. And so I haven't made an offer on anything because everything is outpriced. And my software is going to save me from making a bad offer. And my mentor is not going to buy into something with me if it's a bad offer. And that's kind of, that's the thing that's so cool is that I got someone that's going to make sure that every step along the way to get to that place and to get beyond, I have someone on my back helping me. Just like I had when I was learning to go cash, just like when I set up my first course, just like all the things I've done as a PT. So I'm now just rinsing and repeating what I've done as a PT business owner, but I really didn't know how to do all this until a few years ago. And I wish I'd learned all this way, 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 way long time ago. And I'm now a better business owner as a PT business owner because of what I've learned from the self-storage people that are just teaching me such an intentional thing. And now I have a much clearer picture of how I can generate more wealth with selling core than just selling one location for not even you know a percentage of what it's bringing in per month. And now it's like this plan has changed. Again, it's all been great. A lot of us from listening to your podcast, a lot of it's learning things from, again, my storage uh, mentors. But now I'm learning things from people. Like I've read books and think, done things with these storage people that I never would have read before and learned before. And it's only making me just a better entrepreneur all around. And it's so applicable to PT. It's so applicable to everything. So that's what's fun about it. And I'm at a point where I still love being a PT. I still love doing what I do. But now it's really fun and exciting. It's the search. And then it's like, oh, you got this property for this amount. Okay, well, I think it's worth this amount. And so it's kind of like that game of negotiating. Like imagine as you're negotiating buying a business, right? It's that game of negotiating buying your first house, your second house, whatever. And so I enjoy that, but it's a totally different type of day. And I have a lot of time that I didn't have. And now I get to be the mayor at my office. I get to walk up to the office with my dogs. I hang out, I work out, the dogs are running around, I'm saying hi to all the patients, and I'm actually getting a chance to know the patients that are seeing Danny and Andy, because I I see them, but I don't know who they are. And so being the mayor has now helped me learn more of how to be a better, what, what needs to happen at CORE to be better by just being there. 
And before I was only there when I was treating patients, but now I have that time. And again, it's all about that time that I never, ever, ever, ever had when I was seeing all the patients and doing everything else. And now I split my day, you know, two days a week, I'm, I'm focused on core. Two days a week, I'm focused on the storage. And the fifth day, it's kind of a combination of what's, what's, what's pressing, what do I need to get done? And the last few weeks, it's been hiring a PT, onboarding a PT, starting to get the training ready. So that third day was definitely going on to that. As soon as we, she gets on board, that'll start shifting into something else. For sure. For sure. And when you were talking about interest rates elevating and some of these self-storage owners not, uh, you know, not being adjusting, not adjusting to the market and still asking yeah. for, like you said, uh, 2 million, if it's, you know, the self-storage self is really worth 1.3, for example. But that's in every industry where there's sellers, Correct. business owners that don't always have realistic expectations of like the current market rate and all that. So when you when you say you guys can still pencil out a deal, and even if interest rates are a little bit higher right now, you certainly could still, depending on your mentor and, and how you guys draw it out, you still could get in the, into a self-storage and then refinance it in the future if you were using, unless your partner is, it's all his capital. And, and if you're paying most of it out of pocket, as opposed to financing it, SBA, something yeah. like that, or commercial debt. So is that something that you or your mentor have talked about where depending if it's on the fence of something that's workable, you could still give an offer, put in an offer, even if it's with the high in, higher interest rates now, knowing that in the next six to 12 to 18 months, interest rates will probably drop and then you could refinance it there at that point. Have you guys discussed that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it really all depends on the situation and who, who it is. Like if I'm dealing with a broker who is actually finding the deals and making their cut on the deals, there's no meat on the bone for investors to come on board there's not enough meat on the bone to make the deal pencil out if i find the the seller off market or if i find that mom and pops that i've mailed a letter to that i resonate with because i'm telling them i'm a pt leaving the industry starting a new industry and they're like oh i had a hip replacement i love my pt you know i'm kind of like trying to tap into that emotion of like the person that wants to wants to sell it to me because something I've wrote to them or when I've called them is connected with them, then it's a matter of like, they might actually allow me to do an SBA loan and go through the process. But if I'm competing with 20 people, SBA loan takes too long. I will not get into my first facility if I'm doing an SBA loan, if I'm competing with people, right? right. Because it's a cash, it's moving fast. And that's where my mentor comes in. If I find the right deal, they have the money. Or they'll syndicate and raise the money in a webinar in the matter of 45 minutes. And so they'll put together a webinar. This is the deal. This is the numbers. This is what we're going to change. This is how we're going to change it. Your 50000 is going to turn into 125000 in three to five years. Let's go. And it basically just summarizes it all. And then he'll raise anywhere from you know one to $2 million in one webinar in the matter of a couple of days. And then it's a matter of let's go. So it's up to me to find the deal right now. And if I find the deal that pencils out that they're willing to invest in, if they if I find the deal that that I can do it without them, they're like, do it. But I need them right now because I need to understand the game and I don't have the amount of cash flow that I need to do it. So 
if I find the deal that we can syndicate with, let's say it's a $2 million deal. And now we used to be able to get into it for 10% down, 200,000. Well, now it's 40% down. So it's a big, big difference now. So I need $800,000 to get into a $2 million deal, right? So all of a sudden we can go to syndicators and say, hey, we need to raise 800,000 for the down payment. This is your preferred interest that you're going to get paid every quarter. And then this is your, on the back end, when we flip it, this is your return on that. And it's all laid out. And then I can go get the loan or my partner can get the loan more realistically because they can get a loan without SBA. I'm going to be focused on SBA. My partner can just call his buddy and say, hey, I got this deal. You want to ready to go? Let's go. And it's good to go. So all of a sudden, I'm not even putting in much money. The syndicators or the limited partners that have put in the down payment of 800000 me and my partner are partners on the 1.2. And maybe we got an extra 200000 because we're adding another row of units or maybe we're improving something. So more than likely, that $2 million is really a little bit more because we're, we're improving the value of these places. Then all of a sudden, three years later, someone comes in just like, like a bigger PT clinic and they're like, oh, you've got this nice facility that you've stabilized, you've got it systemized, it's boom, 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 boom. Then they buy you out and they buy you out for $4 million. So it's just like you. Do you want to buy the PT clinic who has systems in place and you're going to pay top dollar? Or do you want to buy the PT clinic that doesn't have the systems in place and you're going to pay low? And they're going to think you're lowballing them, but you're paying them what their clinic is worth. Right. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And there's there's buyers at both of those places and in, in the, the storage facility. Last question before we wrap up. So if you find that deal, then you have the syndicator, then you have the syndicator puts it in front of his email list or his group of people yep. as yep. as the limited partners. Yep. How much, let's say if it whether it's a, a million dollar deal, two million dollar deal, what percentage are you getting as ownership equity? in that self-storage? And then how much is the syndicator, your your mentor getting? And then everyone that invests, is that they're investing and they're just getting debt investment or they're also getting a component of equity in the business as well? Well, if they're limited partners, they're going to get a preferred return. So like a hurdle and, rate over 8% or something like that? Yeah, yeah, like like around 10% as a, prefer, a preferred return of 10% and then an expected cash on cash of around 22% is what has been, or IRR of 22% is what has been kind of normal. Now, again, things are a little different and we're, we're seeing how that dust is settling with the changes in the interest rates, but that would be like a normal thing. And so it's like, okay, it's a chunk. You put in 50 or 100, 50 or 100, or multiple multiple chunks of, of 50. And this is what you're going to get back in a three to five year plan. And most of those people, they're actually flipping them in more like 18 months to two years now because there's just been such a hot, there's so much money coming in from the corporate people, the REITs that are coming in and buying it up. So again, I want to do the work to get it up to par because the REITs aren't going to buy the small mom and pops. So I'm that kind of in-between player. So for me and me and my partner, so like, let's say if it's 40% that we're raising for the partners, then we're 60% me and my partner are 60%. Um, par, um, we're, so 40% to the limited partners, 60% me and my general partner. So we're general partners. He, so, are, are, you, are you splitting that 50-50 or 
He no, gets no. He gets seventy five percent of that, or what? He's going to be putting in ninety percent of the money. So he's going to get ninety percent of the sixty percent. No, because I found the deal. Right. So what will be the split between you and him of that sixty percent, approximately? That it depends on: am I putting in zeroed money, or am I putting in a hundred thousand, or am I putting in five hundred thousand? If I'm putting in zero, which I, is an option, I'm going to have less percentage, but I'm going to get money for the work of finding the deal and putting the deal together. And actually, I'm going to be managing the property to get it up to speed to do the sale on the back end. So even if I put in $25,000, I'm going to have like 25% of that 60%. I don't know exactly how that breaks down. I just know that that's going to be very, very variable depending on the, the amount I put in. And my goal is to put in as little as possible in the first couple of deals until I get more comfortable. And then I want to do it on my own with the SBA and not worry about it, but right. do a few so, with them to get that comfort zone. So potentially, so if you find the deal, he's finding the capital. And if you and your mentor both put in the same amount of money, then potentially you would be, you would get 30%. He gets 30%. Yeah. Yeah. And then the LPs get the remaining 40%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And depending on where we come in, you know, he's had students put in 25000 that whenever they flip the deal on the back end, they're splitting $2 million between him and them, that person to where that person's cut of the $2 million is not a million, but it's six hundred, eight hundred thousand. 800000 Right. So, but I don't know all those details. Again, those details will just depend. And, and for me, I have, I definitely don't have, I have 10% down on a million dollar business on a million dollar deal but there's not much for a million dollars out there and 10% is not getting it. So it's like my 10% now it's like, okay, I can find a deal for, for 400,000 and I have enough, but at 400,000, the chance of flipping it and turning it into an $800,000 project in three years is, is slimmer than finding that $2 million project and turning it into a $4 million project because of the numbers. You just need the numbers. Right. Because if we're only for increasing the rent of 40 units, versus 250 units, it's just a totally different compound interest of getting that that multiplier going higher and higher and higher. So there's a certain amount of number of units that you want to make it feasible. But then if you get to a certain level, it's also going to then be very, very, very pricey because of just how, how much things have become. But it's such an interesting, fun game. And, um, and I'm at a point where I've evaluated probably 150 deals right now. Whoa, wow. And none of them are even close to what the debt service ratio is needed for me to go to the bank and get the SBA loan. What they still sell for, for these deals? What's the service coverage ratio that you're looking for? Like a, like a one point two five or one five? Or I mean, obviously the yeah, higher the better. One, and and one two five is what SBA is like the minimum. One two five to one three, one point okay. three. And so my evaluator, when I have the purchase price, when I have the economic vacancy or economic occupancy of the facility when I have the total number of units and I have the total um, expenses and the gross potential, when I have those five pieces of information, I can put it into my software and within a second, it'll tell me if what the debt service ratio is. So when I say I've evaluated 150 properties, it's it takes no time at all. And if it, if, if any of them are like at 1.1, then I'm like, oh, I'm going to look more into this. But most of them are not near it because they got they got institutional money coming in. They got money 
that it's all 1031 exchange money that, that they don't care. They're like, ah, oh, well, well, we're, are we okay? It's 0.6. Okay. So people, people that don't know the industry are buying on pro forma. I'm being instructed to buy on performance right now, not pro forma. Because if, again, if you want me to buy on pro forma, you do it yourself and then I'll buy it at that rate. You know, but, but Stephen, you have to remember this for when you try to when you sell core, because 100%. the buyers are the buyers are going to say, well, you know, because many buyers, hundred percent, tell, tell me they're like, well, you could double the revenue. You there's a lot of space. There's a lot of opportunity here. We're not doing marketing. You could do Google ads. You could do Facebook ads. You could, you know, with your expertise with online marketing or with copywriting or sales, whatever it is, you could, you know, double the the size of this place, and it's like. We might be able to, but yeah, that's our time and money. That's going to cost us yep. time and money afterwards. So that's right. If we pay, you, we for pay that, you for that, then we're yeah, doing it twice. We're sense. paying for it yeah. twice. Yeah. So it's the same idea, but there's this, there's this vision, right? Everyone wants more than it's worth. And someone's told them somewhere that it's worth something that in reality, it's not. And you, and that's when, if I were you, I would say, well, then why don't you do all those things? And when you get all those things going, then I'll buy it for your price that you want. And then that'll shut them up right there, right? And again, one day someone's going to be shutting me up when I'm trying to do the same thing, right? But no, I totally get it. But it's a, it's a, on both sides of the game, it's, it's, it's just how it is. And if you buy on pro forma, you're buying on wishful thinking. Just to clarify, because other owners that might not know. So when you say buy on pro forma, we're talking about projections on a spreadsheet, correct? Correct. So that would be like saying, yeah, the economic occupancy is 80%. But as soon as you raise the rates $20, it's going to now be worth this and your gross potential is this and your expenses are still the same. But now your income is more. So your NOI is worth this, your net operating income. So now, but I'm like, well, do it yourself. You do it. And then I'll pay for that. But if if you're paying on what the pro forma is doing, it's wishful thinking of what they think is going to happen. Well, how long have you owned this property and not done this? So come on. I mean, seriously. But it's a scenario that everyone wants you to like, oh, here's my, the cap rate seven on a pro forma, but it's only a three on today. And I'm like, well, if the interest rate's seven and a half, do you think I can buy at a cap rate of three? Cap rate has to be at eight or I can't buy. And so they're like, oh, but two months ago, oh, two months ago, it's changed, you know, and cap rates are just a, a way for us to figure out a percentage of it's, a, it's the return on the investment. Is it worth it? Just a few years ago, cap rates in the storage industry were 10, 11 percent. Huge. Now they got way down and now it's changing again because of the massive influx of, or the massive changes in the, um, the interest rates. So very, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And again, the more I learn, the more I realize it, the more I listen to your podcast, it's the same information. It's just kind of a little different. You know, business is business, but it's just all a little different based on our niche. And what I've learned is that we can really make a lot more money out of the PT industry if we're willing to take that risk. And so I've already taken the risk for 20 years in the PT industry and now I'm like, okay, my risk is now to grow, 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 grow without me. So I can actually start taking other risk and start using some of the equity in my house that we've built up to like actually make generate money for me instead of just working my butt off to not generate what I want to generate. 
Right. I think this is a perfect place to wrap. We covered a ton of topics. Definitely have to have you back in the future, especially if you, if and when you do a deal. And then if you want to disclose stuff and, you know, sure. how you guys penciled it out and all that, that would be super interesting, I think, and valuable for practice owners to hear and also kind of understand like what else is possible while they're getting their practice to a sellable state. Many practice owners are maybe already independent where they own a practice, but they're not treating. So they could have the bandwidth to do other investments or look in other asset classes uh, outside of their private practice. So um, definitely uh, interesting stuff, Steve. We wish you the best of luck and definitely keep us up to date on uh, how everything progresses. For sure, man. I would love to be able to talk in a short time about buying my first place uh, for my commercial space for an expansion of core, as well as my first facility for uh, stuff storage. So I'm, I'm, I'm working hard trying to make those things happen. So there you go. Excellent. So that's it for the Dave Kittle show. Stephen, we'll uh, have you back in the future. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot, buddy. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon, man. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.